Welcome to the LDN Radio Show, brought to you by the LDN Research Trust. I'm your host, Linda Elsigood. I have an exciting lineup of guest speakers who are LDN experts in their field. We will be discussing low-dose naltrexone and its many uses in autoimmune diseases, cancers, etc. Thank you for joining us. We are proud to present a 2021 conference presentation recording by Dr. Kent Holtoff. Further presentations can be found on www.ldnrtevents.com along with webinars, the LDN Book 3, etc. Hello, this is Dr. Kent Holtorf with the third and final segment of autoimmune thyroiditis as a core cause of hypothalamic pituitary dysfunction, um, along with mitochondrial dysfunction, obesity, and systemic illness. So uh, I know the first two went pretty long, so hang in there. Um, this uh, last segment should hopefully bring it all together and give you practical ways uh, to use this information. Uh, so um, uh, objectives to understand for what further tests can be done to aid the diagnosis. I, I'm going to go uh, quicker here, uh, so don't go so far over. Uh, and to understand uh, when to consider non-standard thyroid preparations, like when to use straight T3, when to use uh, T4, T3, um, how do you add T4 and you know separate with T3. Um, to understand why T4 isn't optimal for these chronic patients. In general, the sicker the patient, the more T3 they need. And uh, uh, how T3, it's an immune modulatory uh, therapy and how it basically goes along so well with immune modulatory therapy such as LDN uh, and peptides and how they're very synergistic and beneficial to prevent and reverse chronic illness. And, you know, just using one of the two um, can make your whole practice, but combining these two, you're gonna get a lot of these patients that you're finding are very difficult, uh, just respond very well. So how, how can LDN and other peptides help with Hashimoto's, but really with this multi-system illness that we talked about. But Okay, um, what the heck is a peptide? Um, they are natural occurring. Uh, they can be synthetically made. They can be bioidentical or they can be altered uh, for one reason or another. Uh, we talked about it, you know, generally 40 to 50 amino acids in length. Um, if it's less than that, it's peptide. Longer than that, it's considered a protein. And peptides generally are cell surface signaling molecules. They uh, basically uh, attach the cell surface receptor and cause pleiotropic effects, a cascade of effects, much more like antibiotics, uh, much more like um, supplements uh, or meds generally are more specifically at one part, which you'd think would be safer, but actually gets you into more, more trouble. Um, they're short on, short off, extremely safe, huge um, uh, therapeutic range where it's uh, 
very difficult, if not impossible, to overdose or harm a patient. I haven't heard of it. Um, and uh, even cause uh, side effect symptoms. And uh, where they're different, where hormones will be slow on, slow off, go into the nucleus, uh, nuclear receptors change protein synthesis. So kind of have to build the house, which then you know makes the proteins and then so slow on, slow off. Um, uh, there's no one effect. Again, very synergistic work with work together, multiple peptides, work with other therapies, natural, uh, you know, standard therapies, medications, supplements, all those things. And peptides regulate most every known system in the body. And it's another precision layer of bioregulation of the body. And they tend to be um, basically uh, homeostatic in that they kind of balance things. If something's too high, it brings them down. If something's too low, it brings it up. So they're very nice in that way. And they generally have uh, tissue specific effects where hormones or things kind of have a lot of more general effects. Uh, shown to be extremely safe. Again, some of them, they can't find a toxic dose at even a thousand times the dose where I don't know a single med you can do that with. With water, you can't do that. Um, increasing numbers of peptides are being uh, available. Uh, I think the number now in terms of meds in, uh, in trials is uh, like 40, 50% are peptide medications. But immune modulatory peptides, which we've kind of is our main core of this talk, and I think really is your go-to peptides and where you want to start. Um, I would say you'll start with BPC, which lowers that TH2. Remember, TH1, Treg, TH2, TH17 should be balanced with illness, age, uh, stress, uh, chronic infection, um, dieting, obesity, diabetes, any disease of aging. It's like this. So the TH1 side's too low. You can't fight your cellular infections. TH2 side's too high. So you get lots of inflammation. You get uh, autoimmunity and it becomes a vicious cycle. So there's uh, thymosin alpha-1. Think of a boosting uh, TH1. And a lot of studies in that because it was approved as a medication and it was approved in 30, over 30 countries now, further from cancer to chronic infections, but no longer available here. Um, but TB4 uh, is a very good substitute and be coming out with a replacement, um, which we're excited about for thymosin alpha one, the next more that, that TH1. But thymosin beta-4 uh, as a modulator raises TH1, lowers TH2, has some regenerative uh, effects. Um, and then the uh, TB4 frag uh, is now orally available. It's only four amino acids long compared to 43, which is the intact thymosin beta-4, but has the immune modulatory uh, effects, the healing effects. It's 10 times as potent and orally available. Um, it also eliminates the section of TB4 that stimulates mast cells. Usually you give TB4, not a problem with mast cells, 
but um, because the immune modulatory, the upstream um, uh, portion, the effects will override the direct stimulation of mast cells. So a lot of mast cell people, you know, they'll get direct, direct suppression of mast cells, which is fine, but looking upstream, modulating the immune system, you're gonna get much better effects. Uh, KPV is new out, not many people know about it. It's, um, I think once people kind of start using it, is it's hugely anti-inflammatory, also wonderfully antimicrobial against um, fungus, uh, again, it outperformed uh, fluconazole for candida, and uh, it's very potent against the bacteria such as staph and other things as well. There's just not a lot of, a lot of these peptides, almost all these peptides, BPC, TB4, you know, TB4 outperformed uh, tinidazole on uh, Lyme cyst, but they just don't check, you know, so many infections. Um, thymulin and thymogen. Thymulin tends to be more anti-inflammatory, uh, and thymogen does tend to be more of a thymosin alpha-1. And then epitalin and pinealin are uh, pineal hormones, which are really interesting and probably the most anti-aging thing that you can take exceedingly safe. And they're kind of the master controllers. They will stimulate thymic function, which we've been talking the importance of. They'll stimulate uh, reprodu uh, re uh, reproduction uh, function. You'll see anti-malarian hormone go up. Uh, you'll find you know, menopausal rats, at least rat uh, studies, uh, they start menstruating again, and they 25% uh, had normal litters of babies. So pretty amazing stuff. And kind of a little nice cocktail of sleep is uh, epitalon or pinealion with a growth hormone, either growth hormone secretagogue, growth hormone, or AOD, which is a fragment of growth hormone, along with delta sleep-inducing peptide. Excuse me. And delta sleep inducing peptide is uh, found the highest levels in the gut. Uh, mother produces a lot with the baby. Makes sense. So the baby can sleep. It uh, significantly anti-inflammatory in the hypothalamus and the sleep center. Um, it works for pain uh, and has a lot of other effects as well. Uh, the, the neurotropics of brain peptides increase memory work great for healing traumatic brain injury, neurodegenerative diseases, uh, CMAX, C-Lank, uh, Dihexa, which I haven't talked much about. Cerebrolysin is a combination of neuropeptides. Lots of studies been around 30, 40 years, used for traumatic brain injury, but mostly for Alzheimer's and dementia. You give an IV, you can do it IM, sub-Q, but you can't get those anymore in the United States. Um, but it is available orally, which is shown to work very well. It's, and all these are very synergistic. Um, again, the growth hormone secretagogues, uh, antimicrobial peptides, uh, usually have a section on LL37, which I uh, we really like, but uh, that's one of the peptides you do need to go slow because you can get Herxheimer reaction, the broad spectrum, uh, antimicrobial effects, 
But again, all these peptides have great antimicrobial effects. There's just not a ton of data where well, thymosin alpha one, you know, again is approved for hepatitis and 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 other infections in, in other states. Uh, BPC has a bunch of infections is shown to be effective against. Uh, you know, kind of rejuvenation there kind of is everything. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about mitochondrial peptides. There's MOT-C, 5-amino-1-MQ, and I think I mentioned that. Humanin, SS31, BPC, and TB4, FRAG, uh, are also mitochondrial peptides. And then KPV, again, being that uh, tripeptide of uh, melanocyte stimulating hormone that does not stimulate the melanocytes, but is uh, wonderfully anti-inflammatory and really goes with everything. And the nausea uh, put down the side effects really is with PT-141, which is used for erectile dysfunction. It's approved for women with sexual dysfunction. Uh, I don't find it great for libido, um, you know, and women need higher doses. You tend to get nausea before you get that, but it does work for some women. Um, mitochondrial peptides, um, there, boost mitochondrial function, increase metabolism, great for diabetics. And all these patients with chronic illness have mitochondrial dysfunction because they have mitochondrial dysfunction. They have low thyroid in the tissues. They also have HP axis dysfunction. They have brain dysfunction. The immune system doesn't work. So again, you can see how that's a vicious cycle with everything. And then the immune dysfunction causes more mitochondrial dysfunction and it just goes around and around. So they improve memory, depression. Again, we've had uh, mentioned uh, OCD, uh, great results, work for attention. Uh, they even improve uh, memory um, uh, in normal patients, very neuroprotective, improve stem cells, increase mitochondrial uh, NAD, uh, especially 5-amino-1-MQ. They increase... Uh, 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 sirtuin 1, which you'll hear a lot more about in terms of longevity and uh, mTOR, uh, helps your ability to handle stress, insulin sensitivity, promotes autophagy, longevity. Uh, again, rever resveratrol and metformin both activate um, the CERT1, which is felt to be how they increase their ability for longevity. Synergistic with Bino uh, Q, Poly MVA, PQQ. Um, so again, the thymosins uh, we talked about, they're gonna modulate that Th1, Th2, very restorative, uh, antimicrobial, boost mitochondrial function, um, all works through secondary messengers. They're anti-inflammatory, increase nitric oxide levels, increase your immune system, uh, in, uh, greatly reduce your um, uh, oxidative stress, improve the gut-brain access uh, wonderfully. Uh, Thymosin uh, beta-4 frag heals the tight junctions where BPC lowers that mucosa and heals gastric ulcers, gastritis, esophagitis, um, uh, basically inflammatory bowel disease, kind of name it. Uh, they all reduce microglial activation, so they reduce that brain on fire. 
They are protective against EMFs, and I have a talk you can watch on that. Uh, protects the liver against toxins, mycotoxins, um, neurotoxins, uh, or if you're on antibiotics or alcohol, they, they do prevent a hangover. Um, and uh, they boost natural killer cell function. And nice, they're very small, like thymosin beta-4 is great at, because very small, gets into biofilms and breaks up biofilms. And uh, KPB is shown to do that as well, LL37 uh, at, at picomolar doses does that. And they reduce IL-6, which is the key inflammatory cytokine. So let's talk about thymosin beta-4. It's a 43 amino acid long. has multiple domains that, that do different things. And for instance, the TB4 frag, active frag that we talk about, uh, there's one section that accounts for growing hair. It doesn't have that, but we can get that fragment if that's what we want to do is have a hair product. Um, so uh, lots of studies on these. Uh, they're, it's the, the four amino acid, um, it's called ACSDKP, uh, which is the TB4 frag. It's really the workhorse of TB4. It has the immune modulatory, the regenerative, the protective effects of full length. Uh, it's a more potent antifibrotic, 10 times the potency. It does not simulate mast cells. It's orally active. Um, it's able to cross the blood-brain barrier where TB4 is larger, inhibits um, uh, human transforming growth factor beta, which causes a lot of fibrosis. And uh, that's one of the markers that we use for TH2. Uh, and also it inhibits um, the um, uh, inflammatory induced uh, uh, hypercoagulability. Well, which, which is huge actually. Um, and that's just, here's a graphic segment. It's just those first four amino acids and they're resistant to uh, enzymatic degradation in the gut. And so, you know, these immune modulatory therapies, again, uh, they're gonna reduce the inflammation and, try and bring back that immune system into normal range, much like LDN, goes right along with, with, with LDN. And uh, they promote sleep, stimulate hypothalamic uh, function. This is um, epitalon, has so many unique effects. It increases like deiodinase production. Um, and I think of a study where they, especially combining epitalon with pineal hormone, uh, you can also use pinealion, uh, with, but this one study used epitalin and um, uh, thymulin. And it was a long study on cardiovascular patients, dramatic reduction in uh, mortality, morbidity, their cardiovascular uh, condition got better, not worse over the 15 years. They um, had dramatically less cancer, they live longer, so really, you know, these combination peptides are great for longevity. They're mast cell inhibitors, mitochondrial boosters. KPV is one of the most potent anti-inflammatory and mast cell inhibitors and broad spectrum antimicrobials. 
and they induce tolerance to um, uh, allergens. Delta sleep inducing peptides, potent anti-inflammatory mast cell inhibitor, uh, promote sleep. Again, it's not a sleep med, it doesn't make you sleepy. It allows you to sleep over a couple of weeks. And then the growth hormone uh, uh, releasing peptides, the growth of releasing hormones are anti-inflammatory, prone to healing and sleep. Um, they do stimulate hypothalamic pituitary function. Uh, just talking about the, the neurotropics, they are shown to be intracerebral immune modulators and immune boosters. They reduce oxidative stress. They heal leaky gut and leaky brain. If you have a leaky gut, you have a leaky brain. Uh, shown to work great for, again, prevention and treatment of uh, Alzheimer's, traumatic brain injury, ADHD, OCD, neuroinflammatory condition, pain conditions as well. So you got MOTC, SS31, cerebralysin, which we love. Uh, we should do it IV. It is available orally now. Um, and the feedback's been great. I do have a a testimonial at the end as a case, uh, if we have time. And uh, they basically improve the, uh, the cell danger response. They target muscle and cerebral and organ systems. They regulate metabolism. They're AMPK um, uh, uh, stimulators and they uh, great for diabetes and obesity. So uh, either we use T4, T3, but especially T3 works for these patients. It stimulates mitochondrial function much better. Uh, it normalizes deiodinases, just giving thyroid as immune modulator, anti-inflammatory. You know, thyroid affects all the cells in the body. And the sicker the patient, the more T3 is needed. So all these things will improve that hypothalamic pituitary thyroid access. They'll decrease inflammation, increase mitochondria. So you can see you're kind of unwinding this vicious cycle. So, and when looking at labs, you know, TSH, people, a lot of people, some people don't get it, get the TSH. If someone basically questions what you're doing, they already oh, didn't get a TSH. You can get a TSH, you can, explain why it's not, it's normal when you're giving thyroid, but not getting it doesn't really help you. So you, you wanna get it. We'll talk about other labs to show that they have immune dysfunction, that they need thyroid and immune modulation. And uh, you know, so many things uh, result in low tissue levels of thyroid, but the TSH is normal. So, um, you know, how BPC, TB4, FRAG, and LDN are very synergistic. Uh, you have all these, all these things here, which I've talked about uh, most of them, you know, cardiovascular function, aging, autoimmunity, regulate the gut-brain access, cardiac regeneration, palpitations. BPC is shown to directly counteract the core mechanism of EMS, EMF, toxicity, which can drive that cell danger response where it blocks those uh, uh, voltage-gated 
calcium channels that the EMFs stimulate. They're neuroprotective, they improve insulin resistance, effective antimicrobials, antifungals. And uh, in one study, mice inoculated with aspergillus, they were given TB4 for 14 days. They found um, TB4 had direct antifungal effects along with induction of mucosal barrier protection um, and reduction in lung inflammation. You know, good for COVID too. Uh, as well. And if I can say, even say that, even though it's in the study, um, hundreds of controls died, 100% of the controls versus 50% of the mice that got it. Normalized blood pressure, if it's high, it brings it down. If it's low, it brings it up. Diabetes, rheumatic brain injury, mold, great for Sears patients. Um, work, you know, we mentioned work for dry eyes. Cerebral Asin, we we love, uh, I mentioned approved in 30 countries, actually 44, uh, mostly for dementia and stroke, but also as an antimicrobial. Uh, it's a immune modulator for the brain, mast cell inhibitor. It's a neuroprotective, penetrates the blood brain barrier. Uh, we really like it for the autistic kids, uh, again, uh, historically given intravenously, but it works orally. Um, here in this study, the effects of oral cirrhosis in the brain, uh, a single dose that uh, showed uh, improved brain waves in an hour, lasts up to six hours, uh, improved memory um, uh, just after a single oral dose. And so the authors uh, said these results indicates oral cirrhosis influences brain functioning and administrates the oral route, having a positive effect on cognitive performance and inducing acceleration of brain bioelectroactivity. So KPV again is that C terminal, very potent mast cell. Um, it's very organoprotective um, and uh, uh, will regulate metabolic stress, orally bioavailable, and we talked about antimicrobial. There's a quote from a study, the C-terminal region KPV of alpha melanocytes stimulate demands special attention for several reasons. It exhibits an in vitro and in vivo anti-inflammatory territory similar to the parent compound without the melanotropic effects. It doesn't make your skin dark. Moreover, this essential anti-inflammatory sequence, that is C-terminal uh, KPV, is also sensible for uh, direct antimicrobial effect. Therefore, its short molecule appears to have tremendous potential uh, to develop a therapeutic agent as is more suitable for clinical use. And here's study on just looking in Candida, here's fluconazole and uh, here's the full length melanocyte stimulating hormone um, and the, um, uh, or excuse me, the MSH 1114 is the KPV, uh, excuse me, the one through 13 is the full length. And so it, outperform, it outperformed fluconazole against inhibition of candida at very low levels and also shown to work in staph aureus at, you know, uh, with uh, 
0.00001 levels dramatic reduction. And you can see how um, the KPV here, 11 through 13, outperforms the full length molecule. And just kind of what, what labs um, what would you do? So just trying to help you get started here, really look at symptoms. Symptoms are key. Uh, look at signs on um, physical exam uh, with, you know, for low thyroid, slow relaxation phase, loss of lateral eyebrow, uh, cold hands, cold feet. If they have a positive sock sign, if they wear socks to bed, they got low thyroid. Look at their body temp. If you can check their basal metabolic rate, look at the T3 to reverse T3 ratio. I finally gave up on saying free T3 and it just, everyone freaked out about the units, but that should be greater than 12. But I, it, it's nothing's like, okay, they're 11.9, they're fine. Um, you know, and at, at 12, they're bad or it should be the other way around. So, you know, free T3 should be above 3.5 or so. Reverse T3, um, anything greater than mean because the LCMS just doesn't, give you that wide reference range like the radioactive amino assay did. What you'll see is TSH low normal, um, high normal T4, low normal T3, and high normal reverse T3. But if TSH is greater than two, and so the pituitary always sees the most thyroid, if, if the pituitary is asking for more thyroid and you look at the bell-shaped curve of TSH, like here's like 2.2, 2, 2.3, um, but there's a tail and the labs use that tail way out here, but really normal is, you know, the, the 0.3 to uh, right about two. So SHBG goes up in the liver in response to two things, the amount of thyroid in the liver and the amount of estrogen. And if you're giving, especially you're giving someone oral thyroid, there's first pass through the liver. So it should have very high levels of T3. Um, and if so, for, for women, it's, it works better than, than, than men. It's a wider range. But if a woman has less than 70, really they should be greater than 80. You know they're either low estrogen and or low thyroid. Now, if they're normally menstruating, so you have normal estrogen, then it's a way to monitor thyroid. And let's say it's 20. Well, you know they're and if their estrogen is okay, or they could be very low both, but if their estrogen is okay, you know they're low, very, very low thyroid. And 30 for men, the relaxation phase should be faster than 110 milliseconds. A leptin greater than 12 shows uh, immune dysfunction. Look for high C4A. Um, eosinophil cation protein, it goes up in response to um, parasitic infections. You can see it with like mast cell, but usually it's not that high, but oftentimes it's high normal. But if you then give them some anti-obesia uh, or anti-malarial uh, medications, you'll see that shoot up. And that's kind of a proof that they have it because babesia is very hard to find, especially if someone doesn't have a lot of money to do all these other specialty tests for these infections. Human transferring growth factor beta, Look, look for that. Problem is now Quest is a better test. They do like natural killer cell function. Um, their C4A is a, a 
better human training growth factor beta, you can get either place, but they tend to screw those three tests up. And you want to call, make sure that they're, that that lab, that that draw station does that. Um, you want to see the free T3, free T4 ratio um, greater than three. Okay. And that's another marker. Uh, do I have the CD4 in there? I think I talk about it later. Uh, you know, good TPO, anti-thyroid antibody, low iron, they get thyroid resistance. Uh, check their hemoglobin A1C. Um, CRP, we saw the um, graph on that. Uh, their cortisol, ACTH. Now, if they have a high ACTH, you may find high ACTH with low cortisol is the body is pumping out a lot of corticotropin releasing hormone, which is a direct potent stimulator mast cell, um, a mast cell stimulator. So uh, you wanna get that ACTH down. So give them a little physiologic dose of cortisol, you know, five to 15 milligrams a day. Look at their DHA, if that's low, shows they have HP axis function. I did a review on HP axis function in chronic fatigue syndrome biomalgia, found you know, 90 plus percent had HP axis dysfunction. Um, the fibromyalgia patients had more hypothalamic dysfunction, chronic fatigue syndrome had more pituitary, and the uh, Brazilian Journal of Infectious Disease, they did stimulation tests, but they showed that a baseline, someone with a chronic infection, if they have a baseline cortisol less than 12, uh, their uh, specificity was 80 something percent that they have HP axis dysfunction. If their FSH, LH, and estradiol, if their LH is to, you know, really if it's more than FSH, uh, especially two times greater than think PCOS, vitamin D you want greater than 60. Yeah, so the CD4, CD3 ratio should be greater than 2.5. So if it's not, they have immune dysfunction. Testosterone, you know, the free test, the, the ranges are nuts. They allow people to go down so low, just like IGF-1. Um, but um, you can call the office and get, and you, some of you may have it, it's a uh, graph where it has basically the uh, uh, testosterone level and the SHBG level. And then you calculate that, you can calculate the free, teeth, uh, free testosterone, uh, much more accurate than the methods that they use. They use several different methods for uh, free testosterone. And the studies show that that's all over the place. So, Theoretically, it's better than total testosterone, but the, the tests will lead you astray and the reference ranges are the worst. Look at any positives on the thrombotic marker panel, D-dimer, PI-1, thrombin-antithrombin complex, soluble fire monomer, prothrombin fragment one and two, protein C, protein S. And uh, I talked about that. So here's just a review that you can go through. Uh, and these are just my thoughts. Again, there's no study saying hey, these are most important, but you know, do the ones in red, especially the ones in blue, I think are the next 
best indicators of this immune dysfunction. Um, and then the lower ones there. And then this is just SHBG showing you that what I'm telling you is I'm not lying. So if we use a measure to measure the tissue level of thyroid as it goes up in the liver again with estrogen and thyroid. Uh, on this study, young women average, SHBG averaged um, 24 if they were hypothyroid, 43 if they were euthyroid, 153 in hyperthyroid. Older women, it was 37 in hypo. Uh, 69 in youth thyroid, 115 in hypo, that was a little weird to me, but uh, younger men, SHB 15 in hypo, 27 in youth thyroid, 107 in hyper, and then older men, 4254 um, uh, there. So you can see how it differentiates, uh, and you can also follow that. And if you give thyroid and it doesn't go up, one, are they absorbing it, and are they thyroid resistant? So you can use that as another piece of information to dose your patient correctly. This study here, they'll get thyroid hormone concentrations in physical functioning and mortality in elderly men. Um, 403 men, they looked at thyroid levels. They found that, the, um, uh, that they had uh, basically high free T4 and high reverse T3. And I think there's a study where they found that well, that's coming up, but high T4 and low T3 was much worse than low T, just low free T3. But I think this was a different one. This one more looked at uh, the free, uh, that, that, the, uh, that they had high free T4 and high reverse T3. So in this population of independently living elderly men, higher free T4 and reverse T concentration associated with lower physical functioning, um, high serum reverse T3 may result from a decreased peripheral metabolism of thyroid hormones due to the aging process self or disease may reflect a catabolic state. Low serum free, is, uh, uh, free T4 associated with a better four year survival. So high free T4 isn't good, again, because it is from its mitochondrial function, it's not getting into the cells. So if you have any takeaway, uh, you know, one of them would be T4 is opposite of what you think, um, that with high, it's, it means that they're low thyroid. It's not getting into the cells. So here's looking at uh, showing metabolic syndrome when they have low uh, free T3, uh, free T4 ratio. Uh, and we'll reverse the free T3, free T4 ratio with inverse records of blood glucose, triglycerides, systolic and diastolic blood pressure, uh, inversely correlates with, with HDL. So high, uh, let's see and metabolic syndrome, indicating thyroid dysfunction, and also you know, growth hormone. If they're low growth hormone, it can mask central hypothyroidism. So you give them growth hormone, also their thyroid looks much lower. Here's looking, you know, the free T3, free T4 ratio, it's something to look at, it's not perfect, 
because especially now once you're on, especially T3, it screws that up. So it's good for initial. Now these units are, you know, European micromoles. Um, they look at the ratio in about 4,000 patients and almost 2,000 patients without their um, thyroid. So in this, it should be 0.3 to 0.5 was normal or three to five actually uh, with US units. Again, um, it messes up if they're on it. And so again, we looked at this before and as a person gets sicker, their virtually goes up very fast. The free T4 will go up as it um, doesn't get into the cell because of mitochondrial dysfunction, but then it goes down because the TSH is going down and not the thyroid is not producing T4. So that's variable. And so when you look at that ratio, uh, you could you can see um, uh, how that changes. Where here in the middle, the free T4 uh, free T ratio is higher, but they're actually sicker down here, and the TSH drops doesn't go up. It actually goes down. So uh, it really turns you know what we learned in medical school and what doctors are telling their patients on, on its head. You know, and here's all the references. You know, and this is typical good news. You're, you're, uh, indicates you're, you're normal. You know, you're in that lowest uh, 6% of the population, whatever it may be. And they say, that's fine. I mean, that's not optimal. Who wants a D minus? So uh, this study really almost all chronic fatigue syndrome fibromyalgia patients are low thyroid despite normal uh, thyroid function tests they have combination of secondary tertiary um, uh, uh, dysfunction, uh, hypothalamic pituitary dysfunction. They have reduced T4 to T3 conversion, increased reverse T3, reduced thyroid transport, which you can tell with that reverse T3 is high. Uh, they found super physiologic doses. When they say super physiologic, doesn't mean it was really super physiologic for them. It just suppressed the TSH. It was super physiologic for the pituitary, but not for the rest of the body. But it was safe and significantly effective for treatment of youth thyroid fibromyalgia. All those dose produces thyroid function tests um, indicative of hyperthyroidism. A pair of patients had no significant uh, uh, adverse tissue target effects. So um, just because that suppressed TSH does not mean hyperthyroidism. So largest study ever done on antidepressants. Uh, they compared antidepressants effectiveness, found that 66% of patients failed to respond to antidepressants or have side effects where they had discontinued their use. The ones that did respond over half will relapse in a year. The trial found that straight T3 was effective even when these other medications, uh, the Selexa, Wellbutrin, Zoloft, Effexor or cognitive behavior therapy were not effective. It was shown to be 50% more effective. And this was just the standard dose for depression's 50 micrograms, which is often too low, uh, which kind of just makes up for that deficiency. Um, and, uh, um, and, and with that, so you know, going higher 
often is even better. Just go slow. Uh, here's a study, uh, 159 bipolar patients treated with T3. They basically were, they tried on average 14 different medications without any improvement. And you can see a wide range of T3 use here. And I don't know what their formula was. And, and when you look at T3, you know, doctors, oh, it's very short half-life. Well, that's serum half-life. The physiologic half-life of T3 is about three days. So once a day is fine. Now with time released is you, the problem is the standard formula from PCCA that you'll get at most compounding pharmacies, PCA, great service, but with their thyroid formula, it is too time release and it doesn't absorb in all these patients, especially if they have any gut issues. So you need about 15% methicil. That's a time releasing. A lot of, a lot of will put 40% or sometimes even more and it just doesn't absorb. So doctors go, oh, time release T3 doesn't work. Well, you're kind of right if you don't formulate it correctly. Um, so I know American Integrated Pharmacy um, uh, is one of them in Lomita. They have the correct formula um, and, and some other places as well. That's off the top of my head. But um, so they found, they all gave them T3, found it was well tolerated, 84% experienced significant improvement and 33% had full remission. So that was after getting 14 different medications without any improvement. Okay, why aren't we giving T3 to all these bipolar patients? And then one patient was switched from T back to T4 for cost reasons, which is not that expensive. I don't know where they were getting it. Uh, and experienced return to symptoms, which resolved with reintroduction of T3. The authors concluded augmentation was super physiologic. Again, just suppressing TSH of T3 should be considered in the case of treatment resistant bipolar depression. And the author thanked um, uh, several doctors, encouraged them to go beyond the 50 micrograms because it really helped so many patients. Um, in this study, the investigated uh, impact of supplementing T3 in cardiovascular risk in obese patients, um, uh, which par partially reduced that reduction in T4, T3 conversion that you see with obesity. So 70 patients with normal standard thyroid function tests, normal tests treated with just 20 micrograms of uh, T3 for six weeks. Um, the dose wasn't high enough to completely re reduce the T4, T3 conversion problem seen with obesity, but they found a significant reduction in the cardiovascular risk factors, including cholesterol, markers for insulin resistance, no side effects. The authors concluded T3 may be considered to uh, ameliorate some of the risk factors associated with abdominal obesity, particularly in some of the subgroups of obese women with the relative resistance to thyroid hormones, relative resistance, not detected by standard uh, thyroid function tests, possibly dependent on decreased peripheral deionization of T4. Um, heart failure. These patients need T3. Everyone's scared to give them T3 because they got heart problems. That's what they need. So low T3 is a very common in these patients. 
Um, and it's a predictor of poor outcome, uh, increased morbidity and mortality. Um, the T3 uh, uh, resulted in increased ventricular performance, reduced, reduced heart rate, and plasma norepinephrine from 717 to 347, and BMP without any side effects, so less cardiac stress. So they said synthetic, uh, you know, T3 replacement um, therapy significantly improved the neuroendocrine profile and ventricular performance. So give those patients T3. So looking at that case study, with the 42-year woman comes in complaining of inability to lose weight, she had depression, on antidepressants, uh, fatigue, muscle pain been uh, diagnosed with fibromyalgia, bipolar depression, and type 2 diabetes. So metformin, effects for Vicodin pain and Lipitor, tried numerous antidepressants without any effect. Her labs were TSH 1.2, you know, it's a little low normal. Free T4 kind of on the high normal side and free T3 on the low normal side. That's typically what they get. So what's the chance that person has low thyroid contributing to her symptoms while she's overweight. Donald ZL uh, showed that 36% of uh, uh, patients uh, being of obese patients being low thyroid. Uh, Ford et al. showed all obese patients had thyroid dysfunction. The other study there showed that giving 50 micrograms of T3 to obese patients partially compensated for their inherent thyroid deficiency with resultant improvement in cardiovascular uh, risk factors, including cholesterol and insulin resistance. Um, she was chronically dieting. So uh, Riho um, et al. found a 50% reduction T4-T3 conversion with no change in TSH with that. With chronic dieting, LIBO found a 25% lower metabolism. Uh, she had diabetes, so Pittman found 42% reduction in T4-T3 conversion. She had depression, uh, Posternik et al., uh, and the STAR report demonstrated giving T3 is safer, more effective than antidepressants. Uh, statins actually artificially lower TSH, by the way, making it unreliable. Um, um, pain med, so pain will reduce deionidase type one. So lowering that T4, T3 conversion in the cells in the periphery, but raise the uh, deionidase type two. So the TSH goes down. But unfortunately, if you treat the pain with narcotics, you still have the same problem. So it, it didn't help. And remember, there's no reverse T3 produced in the pituitary. Um, and then Hawk et al, low normal thyroid was associated with higher cardiovascular risk, uh, high cholesterol, hypertension, diabetes. Uh, it was yeah, a higher risk than having high cholesterol, uh, hypertension, diabetes, or smoking. So just having low normal thyroid, higher risk than hypercholesteremia, hypertension, diabetes, and, uh, or smoking. So yeah, what else can, can be done to look at uh, her, uh, look at signs and symptoms. Uh, she was found to have low uh, basal metabolic uh, temp, uh, basal metabolic rate, which corresponds with temp, 97.4. She had inability to lose weight, dry skin, 
constipation, coarse skin, heels and elbows, uh, cold skin. So Zewiski showed that the combination of more than five of those very common symptoms had a positive predictive value of being hypothyroid greater than 96.9%, okay, by those symptoms. So take those symptoms down. Uh, visually, she had a slow relaxation phase of ankle reflex. And by the computer, it was 190 or normals less than 110. This was shown by Mayer in the British Medical Journal to be better determinant of hypothyroidism than elevated TSH. She was found to have a low resting metabolic rate uh, that was 22% lower than expected for a person of her weight and gender, excuse me, which is really the gold standard for hypothyroidism. She's hypometabolic. Her T3 reversity ratio was 3.7, where it should be greater than 12. Again, many studies showing that that it correlates with the tissue level of um, uh, tissue level of thyroid. You can do either the free T3 reversity ratio, um, but again, I gave in and switched to T3. So I just add T3 to the thyroid panel. Uh, her free T3, free T4 ratio was 1.5, where it should be greater than three and some of the labs uh, there. Um, now the free T3 is typically reported in petgrams per ml, while uh, T4 is reported nanograms per deciliter. Um, so you just move the decimal point. Uh, SHBG we, we talked about, uh, hemoglobin A1C was 6.1. Again, diabetics have 30 to 50% decrease in T4, T3 conversion. Her leptin was 22. So it should be really less than 10, 10 or 12. So she has leptin and leptin's need to make TSH. So TSH is unreliable. Her insulin was 16, which um, again, we looked at the studies with diabetes. Reverse T3, high normal associated with decreased thyroid transport in the cell. So it shows that T4 would not be optimal for this patient. Um, the T3 reverse ratio was less than 12. Again, uh, same thing. Uh, free T3, free T4 ratio less than three. And the same thing, indicating thyroid dysfunction. CRP was 3.2. It should be really less than one. So she's going to have reduced. T4, T3 conversion, suppressed TSH. Remember, um, looked at the uh, CRP in the first section where T3 just dropped with CRP in the, even in the normal range. Her CD4, CD3 was less than 2.5, showing that immune dysfunction. She had high triglycerides, low HDL, with metabolic syndrome and uh, with uh, decreased T4D conversion, high C4A, uh, human tumor growth factor beta. Um, the VEGF, now if you do VEGF through Quest and it's zero, it's meaningless. So it doesn't mean anything. And you need a number that means they, they screwed it up. And then I mentioned ECP, again, usually high normal, then that will go up with you treat. Low natural killer cell function uh, occurs in about 
70% of chronic fatigue syndrome patients, low natriculous cell number, and about 25%. Um, she had significant inflammation, which uh, thyroid resistance. So really consider a Lyme workup in that patient. And this is, a, in terms of case study, I was trying to think of that, just one that I remembered offhand. And this was a doctor um, who was uh, uh, going to work for us, but he had to finish his stint at the hospital as a hospitalist. And he was covering the ICU. He said he had a patient on, on his last legs with heart failure, uh, dramatically fluid overloaded, low oxygen saturations, uh, low oxygen saturations from you know fluid filled lung. He was on cardiac pressors to stay alive. He could, of course, couldn't get out of bed. Ongoing arrhythmias that he was in and out of. Uh, and he said the patient had low normal TSH with high normal T4. So they didn't even do a T3 or anything else. So his training, he said, you know, this patient seems to be normal thyroid, actually on the high side. Told him I guarantee the patient is extremely low thyroid and to check a T3 or free T3 and a reverse T3. And then those other things as well. After seeing the battle, he wasn't allowed to write for it. He's finally allowed to order the test. Was shown to have a low T3, frankly low T3, and a high reverse T3. And then, so we discussed uh, what to do with the patient. I said, you know, give T3. And he, he was reluctant because that's not what considered, you know, standard care at the hospital, especially the patient had, you know, heart problems with multiple arrhythmias. So I sent a bunch of medical literature and uh, he was convinced to go ahead with treatment with uh, time-release T3. As treatment titrated up, he could not believe the miraculous results. Uh, the patient's ejection fraction, the um, fluid status, cognitive function, his oxygenation, oxygenation, an overall clinical status dramatically improved. Um, he was able to wean off the cardiac pressors. He did need supplemental oxygen and his arrhythmias resolved. Um, this is before we had peptides too, I think. Um, so they probably would give to him anyways, but you know, the BPC 157 could really help those arrhythmias and also help the cardiac function. He was actually able to get out of bed and start walking. He said it was the most miraculous thing he had ever seen. And if he had any doubts about what we did, then they were all gone. And then he, I think he was doing like seven days on, seven days off. And so he went off rotation and the endocrine team came through and they couldn't figure out why the heck he was on T3 when his TSH was normal. So they stopped it. And then when he came back, uh, patient was found again to be in bed, fluid overloaded, back on oxygen, back on cardiac pressure, uh, pressors. And uh, he spoke with the endocrine team, but they just could not understand why that patient would get T3 when they had a normal TSH and they refused to discuss it. Uh, he said he was so disgusted with mainstream medicine, but at the same time excited to pursue a more evidence-based, cutting-based practice. Um, 
so kind of dosing strategy uh, for peptides, LDN, you know, can, you can start LDN first, uh, kind of put those in, you know, so many patients. Usually we'll start low uh, with everyone, you know, uh, basically, you know, one milligram. If someone says they're super sensitive, you know, maybe, you know, half, then uh, slowly work up to 4.5. Um, the use dose for oral TB4 frag and BPC is one cap twice a day. But some patients, depending on their, their sickness, will you know, use higher doses, um, but low doses work as well. And, um, and after two to four weeks, you can then add an additional one. Again, we'll go much quicker. If they have a lot of inflammation, maybe add KPV. Uh, if they have brain dysfunction, like oral cerebrolysin, or if you want to try C-Lank or C-Max, maybe try the mitochondrial um, uh, peptides as well. Um, if they have GERD, remember, open up the capsule, will help fix those sphincters. Um, so let's see, three to five milligrams of, oh, three to five milligrams of BPC and three to five milligrams of TB4 IV for pain. And we'll give that if we're giving stem cells or exosomes, NAD um, uh, works with also LDN, ketamine, phosphocholine, vitamin C. Uh, can add, again, KPV of mast cells, epitalin and uh, delta sleep and growth hormone secretagogue combination uh, works really well. And epitalin really, for especially your healthier patients, as anti-aging just kind of tends to be that master controller of everything and um they'll they'll sleep better ll37 for antimicrobial but remember all those things are very antimicrobial in their own right the uh oral cerebral license c maxi lengths dihexa for cognitive function 5-1mq uh, also mitochondrial function Again, synergistic, love it with ozone, uh, stem cells, exosomes, the uh, SOT, I don't know if anyone's doing that, uh, really also works on the gut-brain access, uh, works well with probiotics. Um, again, like anything with thyroid, start low, go slow, uh, especially when you first start out, you start out with 10 micrograms. Even, you know, even I start out low because you get that one out of a hundred that is super sensitive. And if they say they're super sensitive, then listen, uh, you know, 10 micrograms uh, for 10 days, then maybe go up to 15 for 10 days, then 25, then you can increase by 10 to 15 every two to four weeks. If they're, you know, have risk factors or super sensitive or risk factors for uh, cardiovascular disease, but you know, it's, you know, like exercise also, I mean, you're going to tend to dilate those vessels with thyroid. Um, so the chance of you causing a heart attack is so low. Um, it's it's going to actually improve blood flow to the heart, uh, not, not stop it. So, um, but if someone complains of chest pain, like some of these Lyme patients will because of this whole um, 
uh, you know, basically all their, you know, neuropathies and this uh, parasympathetic, sympathetic uh, dysfunction. Uh, and they have a lot of palpitations and uh, chest pain that isn't cardiac in nature, but can be scary. So a lot of them have been to the ER multiple times. But so don't just say, oh, if that's what it is. You want to make sure that you uh, do everything that you need to do as a standard physician. Um, I love vascular ultrasounds, by the way, um, and checking all the vessels, see if there's even, and the problem is though, most of them will just check if they have some big blockage, but they won't tell you like early intermedial thickening, uh, which is really good to know. And so you know who to be more aggressive in that uh, for you know, cardiovascular prevention, or if they're on T4, T3, um, either compounded, I like compounding, we uh, um, will typically use a T4, T3 that is higher T3 uh, in the ratio. Um, that's generally going to be a half grain, no matter how you slice it, because it, grain's kind of the weight of it, where the T4, T3 is the amount of the T4 and T3. Then, you know, one grain, 1.5 grain. Um, but if you're really, you know, concerned, you can start at 0.25. Again, can, can trigger caffeine-like, don't see it often. Uh, things that will help that. Um, actually, the thymocins, especially uh, thymulin, um, very good for Herxheimer's, but BPC, KPV, great. Uh, cerebralizing, great, the TB4s. Um, also, if it's, if you think if they've had too much thyroid, um, the beta blockers, lily of the valley and lemon balm will actually block the thyroid receptor. So it's, it is great for um, uh, hyperthyroidism and also cholestyramine. Now people give cholestyramine you know, the thyroid also goes through enter, enteropathic circulation. So the cholestyramines block sucking up all that thyroid. So you got to really watch for low thyroid when you're treating the serious patients with cholestyramine. Uh, magnesium will help, potassium. Uh, again, the BPC is going to lower inflammation, lower that PR uh, interval. interval. Um, and reduce arrhythmias. Fish oil can help. TB4 active frag, check their adrenal function, progesterone. Um, I think I mentioned fish oil. Clean up the gut. Again, like exercise if they're right on the brink, but it's going to dilate the vessels. Uh, normally, it's a panic attack in those patients. You know, slowly increase and in dose based on their symptoms. Now, if their pulse is high, don't give them more thyroid, okay? Go down. A lot of times it's not the amount of thyroid you give, it's the amount of change. So let's say you go from 10 to 25 and also their pulse goes up, then just go back down and then maybe go to 15, see how they do. And they'll oftentimes they'll be able to tolerate it. Plus adding, you know, magnesium, uh, BPC, you know, some of those other things. But giving someone a beta blocker and then just keep going up on the thyroid is not good medicine.
you know, look at all those other, all those other markers that paint a picture, their body temperature, their speed of their relaxation phase, you know, thyroflex, um, their basal metabolic rate, their body temperature. Um, and remember T3 norms are for giving T4. So normally the body makes mostly T4, goes into the cell, converts to T3, a little bit leaks back out and that's the level of the blood. Now, when you're giving T3, it goes up in the blood and then into the cell. So if a doctor, if you or a doctor checks it a few hours after they take it, they're gonna freak out because their T3 level is so high. But again, it's not the same thing. And almost always are fine, but that's why we use time released. You have much less of that. Um, again, as long as it's not too time released. And um, so you don't want, we'll usually do the, the uh, T4, T3, you can argue, do it 12 hours, halfway between. We usually do it 24 hours after, don't have them take the dose the morning of, um, and that's what we're used to. Um, so it's going to be at a low, but it's, it's not that much difference. And again, many of the uh, preparations have poor absorption. Uh, if you're giving the patient tons of of thyroid uh, and they're just not getting a response. They may not be absorbing it. And, you know, someone said to me, well, and I've said this, well, it's really not what you give, it's what you get. So what's the matter with giving big doses? It's what, you know, they need. Like the oral GLP-1s, they only absorb 1%. So you know how much is in those that they have to give to get that 1% absorption, but they don't, tell you and it doesn't look bad on the chart where if you're giving someone you know 500 micrograms of t3 and then they look in the uh, pdr and they think it's five times as potent when it's really about two because if you give t4 about half it's converted to t3 they're gonna go oh my god he's giving them you know the, the equivalent of uh you know thousands of micrograms of T4, which isn't true. Now, when Armour had that big problem, they reformulated and everyone was so mad because they put too much methicil in it. They tried to make it time-released and time-releasing T4 works very poorly. Um, so, which could be a problem with T4, T3 combinations. So this is just from a study calculating um, the positive predictive value of a suppressed TSH being um, uh, actually demonstrating the person is a hyperthyroidism that is that is causing hyperthyroidism, um, and it was twenty three percent in a healthy person. Now, if they're sick, they're going to have suppressed TSH normally, so they're going to be even much less because they're going to get a suppressed TSH faster. Um, now, there is a reason TRH has effects. Uh, builds bone and, and those other things as well, um, which, which are good, but you kind of don't have a choice. Um, you know, are you gonna leave the patient hypothyroid to just for the effects of, TS, uh, of TSH? Um, I don't think it's a good trade-off. Um, so with anyone with pituitary dysfunction, you can't go by the TSH, which includes anyone stressed, exposed to toxins, pesticides, plastics, heavy metals, 
with any chronic illness, chronic syndrome, fibromyalgia, inflammatory disorder, Lyme disease, if they're stressed, um, all those things. So uh, you'll hear osteoporosis, are you gonna cause osteoporosis if you have a suppressed TSH? Uh, the largest meta-analysis have shown that is not the case. And that was in the Journal of Clinical Endocrinology. Um, and now, except in premenopausal women, if they're not on estrogen, which all these women should be on estrogen, um, uh, uh, excuse me, in premenopausal, they showed no increase, but if they're postmenopausal, suppressed TSH, they had a slight reduction in bone density. But we find, as you know, you put them on estrogen, vitamin D, strontium, and all the peptides, and you'll see their bone density just go up. And uh, lowering the inflammation is going to dramatically uh, improve their bone density. Um, autoimmune uh, osteoporosis is shown to also be an autoimmune condition. So modulating that immune system is going to help as well. In this uh, review, they analyzed over 28 studies and the authors concluded there was no effect on TSH suppression on bone mineral density in premenopausal women. Um, and this was actually in purposeful severe suppression of TSH for due to cancer. So much higher. We're suppressing TSH just because we're trying to get a normal level. Now, numerous studies have shown significant increase in bone loss and fracture with the use of SSRIs. But does anyone ever worry about that? No. Uh, large studies published in Annals of Internal Medicine, four of them. So uh, much worse. And um, this study, subclinical hypothyroidism is characterized by increased uh, QT interval. Um, I think I was saying PR interval, I meant QT interval um, with, with BPC. Um, now this is the Sowen article, which endocrinologists ref refer to saying that suppressed TSH increases your risk for AFib. Now you can give enough thyroid to cause AFib, but so you have the lowest line there, lowest risk is normal TSH. And then you have next up that slightly low TSH, but um, the high TSH actually had a higher risk of atrial fib than a slightly low, okay? And then the low TSH had the highest. But if you dug down into the data, again, this was in 2000, uh, over 2000 persons over the age of 60 study for 10 years. So 57%, 57 patients began taking thyroid replacement after the start of the study. So 36 of those patients, 63% had a low TSH and no cases of AFib on anyone on, on thyroid and suppressed TSH. So you can argue that it prevented and, and was, you know, basically reduced their risk of AFib. They had one case with normal TSH uh, and three with high TSH. So the high TSH was much greater risk for AFib than low. And the ones that were on uh, thyroid replacement had no AFib. Um, 
This is T3 lowers the incidence of AFib after cardiovascular operations. Um, uh, low free T3, uh, uh, so low T3 was a predictor of post-op AFib, not high. So uh, conclusions, uh, most if not all patients who are depressed, obese, diabetic, PMS, stressed, have chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia, uh, are older, have chronic illness, chronic Lyme disease, SEER, SEERS, MCAS, autoimmune disease, cancer, cardiovascular disease, anxiety, and many more. They have immune dysfunction, which causes cardiovascular, mitochondrial dysfunction, um, uh, uh, basically uh, increased inflammation, oxidative stress due to the due to that mitochondrial dysfunction, immune activation of coagulation causing hypercoagulability, HPA uh, axis dysfunction, hypothalamic, everything, thyroid, hypothalamic, uh, pituitary growth hormone dysfunction, they had GI abnormalities, abnormal thyroid transport, deiodinase function. So their standard tests, thyroid tests look normal, although all the other tests showed they have all these problems, including low tissue levels of thyroid. And the uh, usually benefit from treatment and um, not infrequently dramatic uh, improvement by giving them um, thyroid. So, you know, we see a lot of thyroid patients. I've seen a lot of great Lyme doctors have done so many things. And the one thing that was missed was giving them thyroid. And we give them just, you know, some T3 and they're like, oh my God, I'm 50% better just from doing that. So it's a huge tool in the toolbox and you can build your practice on just giving uh, T3 appropriately to people that need it because they have, even though they have normal standard thyroid tests. So standard reference ranges do not apply. apply. Use a combination of signs, symptoms, in-house testing, uh, their vital signs combined with laboratory results. Uh, symptoms are key. Uh, look at the immune markers, natural killer cell function, human growth factor beta, C4A, SHBG, the, the thyroid function tests. Uh, you want to paint a picture and, and convince the patient why they're taking it. So when their doctor says, you shouldn't be on that, they're going to go, no, you're wrong. I suggest you read this article. Uh, these five articles, review articles, 10 are review articles, uh, which they won't. And don't hang your hat on any one test um, to determine dosing. And um, so you wanna treat both the immune dysfunction along with thyroid replacement, but standard meds, T4 is not a good choice. The sicker the patient, the more likely they need T3. Standard, um, uh, third point, you know, standard uh, of start low, go slow, watch for side effects, really synergistic T3 and immune modulatory therapy with LDN, thymosins, BPC, KPV, and then as a little added bonus in terms of uh, their dysfunctions, uh, the epitalin and pinealian, uh, the pineal hormones, delta sleep inducing peptide, 
growth hormone secretagogues, cerebral icin, uh, mitochondrial peptides. Uh, really look at that gut brain access. So clean up that gut. You know, BPC, wonderful for um, leaky gut. Uh, then adding a TB4 frag to specifically heal the tight junctions. And then KPV is also a wonderful one to reduce all the inflammation. Uh, we've reversed so many patients with inflammatory bowel disease, Crohn's, ulcerative colitis, that you know they've tried everything, and uh, uh, even you know little uh, you know girls, age 12, 13, just think, oh my God, they're going to give them a colectomy, and they moved to colectomy very quickly, um, and. I can't remember a time we haven't reversed it. So, um, you know, KPV, Delta Sleep, probiotics, consider mitochondrial boosters. And that's it. Hopefully I was a little shorter on time this time. Are all the references and um, they're kind of broken down a little bit um, between the different ones. And, but you can, those are all there for you. Any questions or comments you may have, please email me, linda, L-I-N-D-A, at ldnrt.org. I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for joining us today. We really appreciated your company. Until next time, stay safe and keep well.